Today, our friend Kimberly Anderson. Wait. Who? Kimberly Anderson, <laughs> our friend, the therapist. Uh, Remember as, her? As if our listeners don't know who that is. Right. She joins us again today. Woohoo! We are tackling codependency. Mm. Just punch it right in the throat. That's a, a big one. <laughs> that is a big one. Let's give it a throat punch. Yeah, we're coming right off of Shelly processing some stuff with her parents. Mm-hmm. And so we thought that would be a great time to get Kimberly on to help with that coming up after this break. I am so glad that I have so many issues <laughs> that we have so much shit to that talk about. That we can process yeah. them on this yeah. podcast. I guess we're processing again today. <laughs> I guess we are. You're welcome, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> we'll be right back with some of that processing. All righty. Hey, Virginia. Did you know the law protects patients from surprise medical bills? Insurance companies and hospitals post cost information online. You can request a good faith estimate three days ahead of hospital care. Know your rights as a healthcare consumer. Visit controlyourcare.com to learn more about patient-focused healthcare laws. Controlyourcare.com can help empower your healthcare decisions. Paid for by the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Latter-day Lesbian, the podcast about an ex-Mormon gay girl trying to figure out her life. So I'm Mary. And I'm Shelly, <laughs> and I am two gummies and one beer in at this point. <laughs> oh, baby. Shelly's trying to figure out her life tonight in yeah. a big way. We have Kimberly here. Hi, friends. <laughs> Kimberly is going to help us figure out our lives, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Oh, I am? <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Let's lower the bar just a little bit. <laughs> Kimberly's here to listen to our shit. How about that? Is she? <laughs> okay, so then I'm going to listen to your shit, and then I'm going to tell you my theory on life, and it does involve shit. Oh. Okay. I love it. Well, I'd say let's do that. Yeah. So, Kimberly, this is our first recording of 2021 together. I'm excited. It's like the heavens have parted, <laughs> and a light brighter than the noonday sun is descending upon me. It's a miracle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In truth, we have been planning this episode or a version of this episode for quite a while. At least two or three months. At least. So I apologize. That's my schedule. I got busy all of a sudden with all the trans and queer kids in Utah that are having a hard time because of their parents. Yeah. Shelly, in fact, right now is struggling with parental issues. Yeah. So related in a way. Yeah. I came home from being out and took my daughter out. We went and got massages and had sushi. But I've been dealing with stuff with my parents before that. And then I decided to call them back and sort of apologize for losing my temper and come up with a couple more solutions. And then that ended shitty, too. And now I'm like, I just don't know. I I came in all with my crying eyes and frustrations and my head hurting from yelling. And Mm. Lord have mercy. I'm sorry you went through that tonight. Thank you. Her dad doesn't like to listen to anybody. Yeah. Mm. So doesn't want to hear her opinion on the situation. This is how it seems for me as an outsider. Her dad is the jailer and her mom is in jail. Yeah. Mm. So back up a little bit. I'm sure that people who listen to the podcast kind of know what my mom and dad are about, right? Um, If this is your first time listening, stop now. Go back to episode one. Start there. (laughs) Look, you guys, you don't have time for that. Just stick around. Damn it. Okay, fine. fine. But then go back. Uh, So my parents are the picture-perfect, shitty... Mormon mom and dad, meaning my dad is a super patriarch, got all of the attention, did all the things. He's the smart one, the outgoing one, uh, you know, bishop, mission president, stake presidency, worked at the church office building, all of the things, stake patriarch for crying out loud, like everything. His punch card is full. Right? It's quite full. And then my mom has always been the, uh, she has no opinion. She's not really even allowed to have an opinion. My dad will tell her when she can, where she can, what she does, how she does it. Don't spend my money. You know, it's all about him. Mm -hmm. And I grew up watching that my entire life. And for most of my life, I didn't see how horrible it was because it just was what I saw, which... You were used to it. I was used to it. And again, that paved the road for 40 years of my life of just doing things that were not good for me as a freaking human. You learn to be a doormat. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now we're in the situation where my parents are both old. We've moved them into a retirement community and my dad is senile. My mom is also senile. 
And the more senile my dad gets, the more anxious he gets, and the more he has to control my mom. Has to, has to, has to. He just can't not do it. And the most recent situation that went down today was we are paying to have a lady go upstairs to their apartment, knock on the door, go in and help my mom to declutter some things because she's a hoarder. Absolutely. She would be on that show Hoarders and I would wave to her. Can confirm. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> been there. You know. I've been there. I do know. Yeah. 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 And you were there after my brothers had been cleaning the place out for three weeks. It was still full. <laughs> yes. She likes things. She likes her things. <laughs> and it is. It's an illness. You know, it's an illness. She can't just stop doing it. She's never been to therapy for it. So my mom is super social, needs to get out, needs to have friends. But my dad at this point is just squeezing her to the point of her being miserable. So he won't let her leave the apartment by herself, okay? Because he's worried that something might happen. And he doesn't really want to leave that much. So he doesn't it want to means leave. she's there a lot. Yes. He's super anxious. He was doing well when he was taking the gummies, but now he's refusing to take the gummies because he says they don't work, which, you know, I volunteered in enough homeless shelters to see what happens when people with varying illnesses, stop taking their medications and think they need to stop taking it and then they can't function and two days later, they're out on the streets. And it's horrible. It's so sad. Yeah. And so my dad doesn't think that he needs anything. He thinks he's good. So he's not taking his gummies, which makes him be even more anxious. He will not let anyone in the house to be with my mom except for to help her take her blood sugar, whatever. So the lady went to go visit and hang out with my mom for about an hour because she needs this. And my dad just turned her away. We don't need you. We don't need you in here. You know, made her leave. I got a message from the lady. The lady's like, I felt so bad for your mom. Your mom was looking at me with sad eyes. You could tell she wanted to talk. Your dad shooed me away. Mm -hmm. My mom is basically not allowed to answer the door. My dad answers the door and decides what help they do and don't need. My mom can no longer use her cell phone because it doesn't make sense to her anymore. So she has no access to a phone. If I do call to talk to my mom, my dad will answer the questions. Hey, dad, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're fine. Well, what's mom up to today? Let me talk to mom. Oh, she's having a rough time. Well, let me talk to her. Well, she, you know, she's having a bad day. And my mom's yelling, I'm fine, Terry. I'm fine. Well, no, your mom's just having a rough time. It's hard for her. Everything is poor mom, poor mom. Yet I'm not actually allowed to have a conversation with her. And when you do get her on the phone, he's in the background Tells her what to say. Telling her what to say. Tells her what to say. Yeah. Mm. And I basically lost it on him today. I told him, Dad, you need to let these people in to help mom. Mom needs help. No, she doesn't. She's fine. I'm like, Dad, she needs socialization. I take her out for a walk every day. And I go and I get her lunch and I'm taking perfect care of her. She's fine. We don't need this. It's like she's a puppy and he's taking her on a walk. It's yeah. weird. And I've said, Dad, you don't get to answer for mom. Let me talk to mom. No. Put mom on the phone. You don't need to talk to her. God damn it, Dad. Put my fucking mom on the phone. Is oh, that yeah. what you said? I went there. Don't talk to me that way. Fuck you, Dad. That is my mom. Put her on the phone. I want to talk to my mother. You don't get to stand between us. It's my relationship with my mom. Give her the phone. Grumble, grumble, grumble. My mom gets on the phone. Hi, Shelly. Like, Mom, would you like it if we had someone come in for an hour every day to help you with some memory games and help to clean things up, blah, blah, blah. And I hear my dad in the background saying, tell Shelly we don't need that. And so I flip out again. Dad, I heard that. You don't get to tell mom what she does and doesn't need. Of course, it's traumatic for me because I saw this my entire fucking life. And now I finally see how horrible it is because I'm out of this whole patriarchal system as far as, I mean, are you ever really fucking out of it? But as far as what I knew growing up. But then to see my dad just clamp down so hard on her and not let her get what she needs, not let her leave, not let her have a phone. Not let her have a life. No, she, no, she has no life. She has no life. And I even said, hey, you know what, mom and dad, I think it would be awesome because mom can't use her phone anymore. What if I got you all one of those, like the old people phones, it just sticks on the wall. <laughs> it's got like the, co the cord and it's, you know, got five speed dial numbers, big buttons, and mom can just push the button and talk to any one of us. So she doesn't have to be frustrated that she can't call anyone. I'm asking them and my dad, we don't need that. Okay. Well, what do you think mom needs? She doesn't need that. I can call. 
I don't know how many times I yelled at him, you have to let mom make her own choices. You have to, you have to, you have to. And it gets to the point where I can't change their marriage. I can't fix this shit. This shit is so far gone. It will never be fixed. He will never appreciate her. He will never give her any leash. Never, ever, ever. But at the same time, she's my mom and she's like stuck in prison with this dude who claims to love her and take care of her, but won't allow her to get anything that she needs. And I even talked to one of the managers there at this place. And I even said, I'm like, you know what? If my dad were to just somehow not wake up tomorrow, my mom would be sad for a few days, but she would fucking rock this place. And they were like, yep, we love her here. She is so great. We just don't ever get to see her. But when she's out and about with your dad, she's amazing. So this frustration of like, I can't do anything. And something as simple as let someone in there to chat with mom for an hour, dad. When he freaked out about that, I said, okay, well, how about they come get her and bring her out downstairs to the big lobby and they can do puzzles and do mind games and things. And my dad, she doesn't need that. I'll take her out for walks. She doesn't need anything but what I can give her is basically what it is. And I'm so beyond frustrated and sad. And, you know, no one likes yelling F-bombs at their dad. Of course, then I feel bad and then I call back later and apologize for that, but give it two seconds and he's already got me riled up because I'll apologize. He's like, oh, you know, it's okay, blah, blah. Don't send anyone up here to get your mother. She's fine. You know, I go back and forth from just let it be. You know what? Just just let them be in their miserable marriage and their miserable mess and just slowly keel over. And then there's this other part that's like, oh my God, if my dad would just leave her alone, she would be so happy. It's hard to let it go. It's like telling your three-year-old, do whatever you want. I don't care. As you watch him like running in front of traffic, but you're just going to eh, let it go. You know, I just let it go. That's how I feel about my mom because she's senile. She's old. She's been stuck in the patriarchy and she's just fucked right now. And she could be so happy. It breaks my heart and I'm tired of yelling about it. And I'm tired of struggling and feeling manipulated by my dad at the same time. It's killing me. It's wearing me out. It is wearing you out. I personally feel like there's a big difference between watching your three-year-old run out in traffic and not doing anything about it and watching your parents who have lived on this planet for almost 80 years. They've been in this relationship for 50 or whatever. There's a big difference. You are not your parents' parent or guardian. You're, you're not. It's different. I get that, but I also see that my mom is... You view her as helpless. She is because she has never been taught anything else. It's so hard for me to just sit and watch it happen. I get so angry. I know you do. And it's not good for me. It's not good for my blood pressure. It's not good for my drinking, my gummy (laughs) intake. Speaking of that, I'm going to let Kimberly talk and get a refill on wine. (laughs) That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. I just made a pot of coffee here. I find myself torn right now, Shelly, between asking you a lot of questions and sliding, shifting out of our friend relationship. And the kind of questions I want to ask you would be the kind of questions that a therapist would ask you. Mm-hmm. Now, I am a therapist, but I'm not your therapist. And I'm not Mary's therapist. Mm-hmm. But I am your friend who happens to be therapeutically informed. Right. I'll slip you a fiver. <laughs> So actually, no, you won't slip me a fiver because if there's any financial transaction, then I am your therapist. Oh, okay. Never mind. I'm keeping my fiver if I had one. You give me a smile and a hug when we can see each other post-COVID. Absolutely. Because you can't hug your therapist, but you can more than absolutely hug me. Yes. So we will be talking today about codependency. Mm-hmm. And we will be talking a lot about boundaries. And we might even start talking about narcissism a little bit, even though the episode on narcissism will be the next one that we record. Gotcha. So I don't want to try and slide into that yet, but we will. Cool. You said a couple things, though, about your mom. No, no, no. You said a couple things about you. Mm -hmm. You said, I learned to be a doormat. Mm -hmm. And actually, technically, Mary said, you learned to be a doormat. And then you said, absolutely. Yeah. And then later on, you said, I can't fix their marriage. And I wrote down the following statement, and I just want to see how this lands on you. Okay. I wonder if you're grieving the loss of your mother's full life while she's still living. Hell yeah. I do mourn for my mom's entire life. 
Because I know she's told me in recent years, I didn't ever want to go on those missions, Shelly. Mm. I didn't want to wear pantyhose all the time. I didn't want blah, blah, blah. I had to support your father. Like she knew she was suffering. It's not like she's blissfully unaware. And now that she's old and she should be living it up, she should be doing whatever the fuck she wants. She's in a nice retirement community with three meals a day and activities and old people everywhere to hang out with. She should be having the time of her life with zero worries. They have all the money they need for retirement. She's on good medications, but she is miserable and it breaks me. I'm like, you're not even going to enjoy your last five years, are you? Let's talk about your father's cognition. Okay. Can he make lucid decisions? Here's where I struggle because my initial impulse is to say no, but I say that because in a way, I think I'm also defending him. Like, well, you know, my dad wouldn't actually be that horrible. Sure. And so I still, I want to defend my parents, even in their shittiness, because they're my parents. Well, okay, he does not have power of attorney. He doesn't. So in that so legally, way, no, as far yeah. as medicine and money goes. So this is why I was asking you about your father's lucidity. Mm-hmm. If he's unable to make, you know, many decisions with his true, you know, higher functioning brain, is his executive function really there? I don't know that I'm getting a straight answer or not, or maybe you don't even know this. I mean, you'd have to have him tested at some point, I suppose. A lot of times we look at behavior as a way that people communicate. It's a subliminal, it's an unconscious, subconscious way we communicate certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if all behavior is communicating something, I'm just wondering, I'm just curious what behavior your father is engaging in, what you believe he might be trying to communicate. Um If we hadn't have intervened, they would probably be dead in their house with a million stairs right now. My dad was never going to do the right thing as far as moving him in somewhere. My dad had quit eating. Um, He wasn't getting getting my mom out to her appointments because he couldn't drive anymore, and he wouldn't accept help. Like, he turned away any kind of help. So decision-making, no, shitty. Decision-making while anxious, the shittiest. So whatever he is trying to tell us with his shitty decision-making, to me, it's like this reaction of his anxiety and that he's losing control, which again, makes me a little bit furious Mm -hmm. because he's been controlling his whole life to the detriment of his entire family. And I'm like, fucking dude, lose the control. Let mom have a life for her last five years. Can I ask you a question? Yes, please. How do you think a man like your father might feel if he was suddenly forced with the loss of control of everything in his life? oh, this is the worst thing in the world for him. It breaks my heart for him that he feels this way. It does. I go between feeling so sorry for my dad to being pissed at him for the way he's reacting to the situation and hurting my mom. It's this balance, you know? Mm. I feel horrible for him. It would suck. That's how you feel. How do you think he feels? Um, Scared. Super scared. Yeah. Fears is by far the biggest because then that comes out in the anxiety. Yeah. He's freaking out because he's always been in control mm-hmm. and suddenly he's not. Yeah. It's got to be horrible for him. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, I mean, for him to, to be worried that she's going to walk down the hall, like you can't get lost in Trio. This is where they're at. There's nowhere to get lost. There's no people out there mugging old people and taking their money. Like nothing <laughs> goes on. My mom can very easily, she actually walks better than he does. She can walk down the hall and back. But in his mind, well, I can't let your mother go alone. What, what if something were to happen? So this is why I'm asking you if your dad has his full faculties. In my opinion, I'm not diagnosing your father. Sure. But it doesn't seem to me like he's really using his rational mind. Oh, he's so irrational. So irrational. So then we really kind of have to pull that statement off of the table that his behavior might be communicating something. Maybe his behavior earlier, you know, when he had more of his faculties, was communicating the fear of loss of control. Mm -hmm. But I would say now, if he's really not all the way there, he's just acting irrationally. Oh, absolutely. It's completely irrational. Has he been diagnosed with Parkinson's or Alzheimer's? No, they put him on some Alzheimer's medications a while ago, like a just-in-case. He's not taking them, is he? No. Yeah. He took them for a while, but they didn't seem to do anything. He just was getting progressively worse. I do think that all the COVID shutdown was very Mm -hmm. difficult for him because he's also outgoing. And he basically shut down, kept my mom in the house so she wouldn't go out and get sick. I mean, even my mom's sister called me a while ago and was like, your dad hasn't let your mom out of the house in six months. We're worried about her. And to be, to be fair, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and then there's a third kind of a form of dementia or more. But the third one that I'm familiar with that my ex-father-in-law had, my former father-in-law, he had Lewy body dementia. Mm-hmm. And it was misdiagnosed as Parkinson's for years. Mm. Mm. 
any form of a higher cognition loss, it's very difficult to diagnose. And at the end of the day, you really only can do just kind of slow it down. You can't really do much other than that. Yeah. Well, also, he was starving himself. Yeah. Before we got them moved, um, he had quit eating, I believe, because of his anxiety. He was so worried about everything in the world. He quit eating, lost a bunch of weight, starved his brain. It's a side effect of depression and anxiety, yeah. Oh, he's super depressed. Yeah. I mean, he wants to just lay in bed all day, and he wants to force my mom to lay down next to him all day and not get up. Has he given up? I think so. I've even told him, like, Dad, if you're done on this world, I get it. Dude, I get it. And that's okay. If you don't want to take your meds, I understand. Yeah. That's fine. You know, just make a choice and, and don't keep dragging mom down. Well, I don't even talk that way, Shelly. Your mother needs me to care for her. Ay, ay, ay. Can your mother make her needs known? Yes, absolutely. She And she has said Okay. But my dad is the most dismissive because she's always been like the, the child in the relationship. He's never taken her seriously. Right. She, he's never listened to her opinion. He's always kind of like, oh, Dixie, silly Dixie, blah, blah, blah. Stop spending my money, you know, yeah. talking down to her. So why would he start listening to her now? He just poo-poos it, you know, like, oh, Dixie, we don't need that for lunch. You don't need to eat all that. So he's in a parent-child relational pattern with your mother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he has been forever. Mm-hmm. And— He's to a point where really he is turning into a child. Mm-hmm. And so he's not doing what's best for her. In my opinion, he probably never really has, but he did keep her safe and secure and paid for things. Mm-hmm. But now what he's doing is... Entrapping is, her. It's entrapping her. It is. She's stuck. Because he's reinforcing the old pattern that that's all he really knows. Yeah. His loss of cognition can't see through that. That it's an unhealthy coping pattern. Yes, he can't understand yeah. it. It doesn't matter if we, if my, my two brothers and I talk to him nicely about it. It doesn't matter if we yell. doesn't matter if we plead, threaten, beg, pray, hold hands, give blessings. I mean, he's had like, <laughs> he gets like, like a blessing a week from some random dude in the apartment complex. Okay, so right now I'm going to ask, I'm going to set a boundary or an expectation for me in this podcast. Got it. Particularly with talking about your parents. Would you like me to do one of the three following things? Just pick one. I can listen. Mm-hmm. I can offer advice, mm-hmm. or I can try and solve the problem. Which would you like me to do right now? Oh, I go C all the way. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I mean, listening's great, but you're going to do that anyway. Um, solve the problem. That would be freaking awesome. I don't know if that's your job to solve my problems. That would be phenomenal. Giving advice is right in the middle of the road. Maybe the advice will solve the problem in that I can somehow cope with this better. Okay. Because, you you know, you're not going to fix my parents, that's for sure. And it would be irresponsible for me to even think that I could. Right. And I'm glad that you pointed that out. So that's why I ask, is to give you the chance to see that that's not a reasonable expectation. I still pick C. <laughs> God damn it, Mary. <laughs> I, I'm 30 minutes from Trio, as long as I don't run out of gas. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, they're uh, number 204. Go give can them a visit. Can you OD on gummies? I don't think you can. <laughs> there, there are so many gummies labeled in some other box up in their in their can. If you want, literally you want like some thousands gummies. of milligrams mislabeled. Oh, my God. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> that my dad's no longer taking. CBD gummies? Oh, yes. yes, 30 milligrams. Broad each. spectrum. Broad spectrum. In case that matters to anyone. Sorry, that's. <laughs> I, am on, I am on a very broad spectrum, so they may be just for the doctor orders. <laughs> okay, so th- the reason I asked you if I could listen or give advice or solve the problem is because I do want to give advice, but I want to make sure that's what you need from me right now. I absolutely do. Okay. I'm so in deep to it and all I'm doing is getting angry about it and frustrated and I'll try to back away from it and be like that's it that's it boundary that's it I'm done okay but before we do that can we take a quick commercial break oh yeah (laughs) and then Kimberly can offer advice when we get back you know what's great is this commercial will not be political (laughs) we already got past that season that's probably true but it might be Mormon oh Oh, that's true okay this is your chance maybe it'll be for CBD (laughs) (laughs) knock it out of the park baby <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. All righty. We're back. And we're back. Whew. Kimberly, we're back. Wake up. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got some of those gummies. <laughs> put me to sleep. <laughs> I've been down to Trio and back, and I've got 7,000 milligrams of broadband, broadband, 5G, spectrum, broadband fi- gummies. 5G gummies. <laughs> <laughs> so, the advice I want to give you, I want to couch in an invitational kind of a language. Okay. And this is based on what you had just said before the commercial break. (laughs) You said it doesn't matter the way that you or your brothers speak to your father. 
Right. So actually, I think what you're saying is it doesn't matter to him. Correct. Meaning it doesn't do any good. Exactly. Regardless of how you're speaking, he reacts the same way. Mm -hmm. So thinking about this, considering this relationship with your father and your mother as a marathon, how sustainable is the heightened anxiety, anger, fear, nervousness, frustration? How sustainable and how healthy is that for you and or your siblings moving forward? I can't. I even told my brothers um, when some of this started popping off a couple of days ago, this was this was starting to build up into a big issue because my dad was clamping down harder on my mom. And I emailed my brothers or called him. I was like, guys, I can't do this anymore. Right. I really can't. I love mom. I love dad. But this is taking too much of a draw on my life. And I don't want like the last year of dad around for me to be hating him right. for this. I can't. Um, so it's not sustainable. Maybe you can share with me a way that you could communicate with your father that's sustainable for you. Like, I, I can't even ask him, did you take your meds? Like, I feel like I'm trying to help them stay healthy. But even that makes me angry because, you know, the response will be like, oh, I, I don't need those meds. or I, I don't even like taking them. He's just grouchy. So for me, it would have to be such a surface. How are you doing, Dad? Oh, you're miserable? I'm sorry. Do you have anything fun planned today? No? Okay. Is mom there? Can I talk to mom? It's so hard because he'll he'll come back with, well, we need to take we need to take some naps. And I hear my mom saying, I'm not tired, Terry. So it's like everything he says is just, oh, dad, leave her alone. I don't know. Do you find yourself falling into the same pattern that you experienced as a child? What do you mean? You're experiencing your father now the way you experienced your father when you were younger. Uh, yeah, but I didn't recognize it then. You know, he he always talked for my mom. He always made decisions for my mom. Like my mom didn't exist. And it just seemed to me like that's how it is. And now that I look back and I see my trauma in that and I'm seeing how fucked up that is and Mormonism as a whole, the way the men and women work together typically, yeah, it pisses me off. I even told my brothers, I'm like, look, guys, I don't hate dad. I know I've got a lot of deep-rooted issues from the way that we were raised, and it's causing me to not be able to handle this with mom and dad. Can I give you one more piece of advice? Yes, please. Maybe just a statement, really. Mm -hmm. You can't save yourself by saving your mother. Yeah. And it's not like my mom is even saying, I just need to do what your dad says. She's not even saying that. Like, she's telling my dad, Terry, if I want to go downstairs and play games, I can go downstairs and play games. But then he pulls the manipulation. Dixie, you need to come lay down, take a nap with me. If you leave right now, I just don't, I just don't know if I can handle it. The manipulation starts, and then she gives in. And then she's pissed at him, and then they fight. It's circular all day long. She wants to be free. He tells her she can't because he needs her to be there with him, right? So she caves in, does what he wants, and then she's pissed. So here's what I'm observing in your parents' behavior. Now, I've never met them. I've only heard you share your experiences. Mm -hmm. But what I'm hearing from your father is that he was a very controlling, possibly narcissistic person. I would say that, you know, most of the leadership positions that he held— in the LDS church are the result of being groomed and, you know, cultivated in a narcissistic environment. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for his military service, but what it does often is it breeds a certain type of man that is very abusive and very narcissistic. Are you sure you haven't met him? Because <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> so then let's talk about your mother. Okay. What kind of person she was bred to be. She quite literally was bred to be the perfect help meet for the narcissist, yes. the perfect help meet for the narcissist is the classic codependent. Absolutely. She did everything that he needed her to do to make him look good. And that is the definition of a narcissistic codependent relationship. Now, let's think about this. Since your father now is losing his faculties, he's losing his narcissistic control on your mother. She's seeing the ability to break free of that pattern finally. Mm -hmm. And she's asserting herself. She's becoming interdependent from your father. Mm -hmm. Your father's actually becoming more codependent on her than she realizes. Oh, yeah. But he is unwilling and unable to acknowledge that flipping of their relational style. The relational pattern is now on its head as far as your father's concerned. That probably also scares him. Well, for sure. And your father's kind of holding her, you know, you said a jailer and the jailed. 
Mm-hmm. Even though your mom now has this understanding of her relationship to him is a little bit clearer now, and she has some more freedom, she's still kind of stuck in that role because of her deference to him and the loyalty that she's had. Yeah, because she could open the door and, and walk right out. Right. She could. I mean, there's no actual handcuffs on her. But the pattern is that she asks permission, and he says, no, no means no. Because she was taught for how many years that she would hearken unto her husband? They've been married for 56 years. As her husband hearkened unto the Lord. Right. So she's been bred, taught that she would listen to your father mm-hmm. as a condition for her to get to where? The upper levels Celestial of the celestial kingdom. kingdom. That's exactly right. I couldn't imagine eternity with my dad. God, that would be horrible. Seriously, Jeez. I pick hell every time if yeah. these are the options. Yeah. If that's what celestial couples look like, uh-uh. dear Lord. I'm out. Yeah. Well, thankfully, we know that that's not what they look like. <laughs> that's true. Because we know that there's no such thing as a celestial couple. Mm-hmm. So at this point, then, Kimberly, again, I struggle with kind of removing myself from the situation because it's killing me mm-hmm. to then I'm worried again about my mom. So I'm calling just to like check in and then I just get bombarded with this this shit again. And I and I and it's hard for me to just step back and be like, you know what? You guys just go ahead and duke it out until you die. It's hard for me because I, I worry about them both. Right. I don't know how to, I guess, stick to a boundary. Okay. I can make a damn boundary. I'm, well, wait I'm a minute. Let's that. talk about that. What would what? that boundary look like? That boundary would look like calling them to say hi and not talking about anything except for how the kids are doing. That's it. Done. Boom. Because if it's anything about food, if it's anything about what are you doing today, anything will then bring up my mom saying, well, I want to go to this, but your father doesn't want to. And then boom, there we are. We're right in that pattern of Dad, you have to let her go and do things. And at some point, your father will become so incapacitated that your mom will not be jailed any longer. She'll be able to act on her own. Yeah. It's weird for me, I think, Mm -hmm. to in my heart really be like, I'd be cool if he passed away in the next year. I'd be cool with that. Mm -hmm. It would crush my mom for a few months. She would work it out and she will blossom. Right. But it it hurts to know that I really do feel that way. I would not be sad if suddenly we found out he had three weeks to live, you know? I'd be sad for my mom because it's going to be sad when he dies. Sure. But I'll be celebrating knowing that, oh my gosh, mom, you're this close to freedom. You're so close. So let's identify what you're feeling. Are you feeling guilt or are you feeling shame? Yes and yes. Okay. Where's the shame coming from? (sighs) Well, you shouldn't want your parents to die. Who's that coming from? I don't know. People typically don't want their parents to die. (laughs) Fair. I agree with you. So it's a societal expectation. Right. I'm not hearing that you want your parents to die. You want your mother to be free. Yes, I want my mom to be free. And thinking that my dad will change, I've given up on that. I do think that the only solution at this point is to either separate them completely or have God separate them completely, you know? Well, God ain't going to do shit in this, so we have to worry about it another way. <laughs> That's true. God's, God's busy finding car keys. It's pretty benign. He's helping those people find their 19-year-old girl from Phoenix, help her find her Jetta keys. <laughs> Jetta. Poor girl. She's been praying so hard. <laughs> it doesn't feel good to want your dad to die. It doesn't feel good inside. Okay. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. It's a tragedy that you feel that way. That sounds like guilt to me. Is that guilt? Shame is, I am an awful person. Guilt is, I feel bad about feeling this. Because remember, we talked about guilt and shame in episode 69 or something like that. I don't think she listened to it. I listened. (laughs) Are you shaming me about not listening? God damn it, Mary. No, no, no. I'm I'm just noticing and pointing out. Yeah. So if shame is an external force or an external expectation placed upon you, and yeah, granted, society would say most children probably wouldn't want to see their parents die. Yeah. But then there's a guilt involved because you you have an expectation, an inner expectation that you're setting. It's way more guilt than shame, I would say. And that's kind of what I'm hearing. So that's why I'm asking you to identify that. Yeah. Oof. So let's go back a few minutes where I asked you if you could describe to me a healthy communication pattern between you and your father that can be sustainable. I would have to completely remove myself from any kind of caretaking responsibility. It would have to be like, you know what? I have zero responsibility in caring for them at all, period, end of story. That's it. Where it's like I'm basically calling my long-lost uncle and saying, hey, how's the farm? You know, that's it. Have you bought the farm yet? That's what I want to (laughs) know. Yeah, you need to buy the farm. That was funny. (laughs) 
I just have to have like no skin in the game, you know, just just nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it at all. Who expected you to have skin in the game? Society, family responsibilities, um, siblings, myself. There's some loyalty involved, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's your parents. You don't just say, oh, sorry, you got sick. Go ahead and fall down those wooden stairs. Right. And I'm not saying that you should or you should not have skin in the game. I'm just asking you to examine where that's coming from. Yeah. And I hate to say it, I think there's also still this need for me to prove myself that I'm a good person. Mm, okay. Like, even though I left the church, even though I'm gay, even though, even though, mm-hmm. like, look, I'm stepping up to help my Mormon-ass parents. I'm stepping up to help them as the best way I can. So that goes back to the thing I said about saving yourself through saving your mother. Yeah. I guess I kind of can't. Take the word kind of out and say that again. <laughs> I guess I can't. Yeah. Yeah. We may want to. We may think that we can, but in the end, we really can't redeem ourselves by saving other people. Can I ask a question? Oh, is Mary still here? Yeah, I'm still (laughs) around. Yes, on the front row, Mary, Mary on the front row, go ahead. What's wrong with a conversation like this? You're on the phone with them and your mom says, oh, Wheel of Fortune or whatever's going on downstairs, but your dad won't let me go down there. I've got to take a nap with him. And then potentially you could say, You know, Mom, that's unfortunate. I hope you guys can work it out. I hope you can end up going down there. If not, I hope you have a really good day. And then let it go. You know what? You're totally right. And here's what I find myself doing sometimes. When that conversation starts, my mom says her thing, I do feel this anger on the inside that goes back to being angry at the patriarchy, being angry about the control, the whole male dominance thing that I grew up with. It starts to pick at my heart. So it's a trigger for you. It's a trigger. And it's hard for me just to say, well, okay, we'll just find some else. Do what you want, mom. Because I'll start saying, well, you know, you can do what you want, mom. Then that leads into me saying, mom, just walk down the hall and go. Dad can't make you stay. And then I feel myself getting angrier and angrier. It's like I can't let it even go to level one in those kind of conversations because I'll go from one to 10 in about two seconds when it comes to my dad controlling women. It pisses me off. So you know that will happen every single time? Yes. So what's standing in the way from you not engaging with that conversation? Nothing except for me being triggered and getting pissed off. I mean, I shouldn't get that pissed off about something like, your dad doesn't want me to go play games. Like, whatever, mom. Sorry. But I get pissed. I actually kind of like Mary's suggestion. Yeah. That was, uh, okay, mom, we'll have a good day. No, no, no. What your mom is expecting you to do is rescue her. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm so glad that you pointed that out because my mom loves to get me to fight for her. I'll say something. That's a shitty position to put you in. Oh, God. I don't know if she realizes it. There I am. I'm defending her. I don't think she realizes it, Kimberly. You all have a pattern. Maybe she does. You have a pattern of this. She'll complain to me about my dad and I'll get pissed at my dad and say, Dad, you can't say that to her. And then my mom said, are you listening, Terry? Are you listening? So, yeah, she throws me in the middle because, in her mind, I am the strongest person she's ever met. Can I say something again? Yes. You walk right into the middle. Oh, hell yeah, I do. She doesn't just throw you in. You willingly go into the middle. And what I'm hearing is that your mother manipulates you the way your father manipulates your mother. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like a game of hot potato. Here it's you a game of hot potato. I'm like, I'll jump in there and get pissed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And I'm like, are they both manipulating me? Are they doing this on purpose? Am I just this pawn? Like, what the fuck am I doing? Is this... I don't know. What the fuck are you doing? (laughs) I don't know, Kimberly. What the fuck am I doing? I'm being far more involved. So I bounce it back to you so that now we're getting to it. You just said it. I'm far more involved. I'm far more involved than I should be. And I'm going to should myself. I shouldn't be this involved. It might be helpful if you were a little bit differently involved. Yeah, you're right. You're right. If I just were to call and say, I love you. Have a great day. The kids are doing great. Hope you enjoy your lunch. Bye-bye. I still want to go back and and recommend what Mary suggested, because I do like that she invited to empower your mother in the situation. Yeah. Because what she's trying to do is turn you into the scapegoat, to turn you into the bad guy. It's a very shrewd. I'm going to guess you're one of the youngest children. The youngest. Okay. So that's often the scapegoat in a family relational dynamic. Mm -hmm. If not the scapegoat, then the golden child. Definitely not the golden child. (laughs) Have you been in the scapegoat role your entire life? Oh, yeah. So your mother knows that you're the scapegoat. And so she's trying to get you to be the wedge to get what she wants. Yeah. So I like Mary's suggestion that you are empowering yourself by walking away and it disempowers her to turn you into the scapegoat and it makes her rescue herself. 
which I don't think she will ever do, but that's not my job. Yes. And I need to let it go. It would be helpful possibly to let it go. I need to be okay with them being miserable. Why would they change now? That's not a rhetorical question, by the way. Why would they change now? Haven't they been miserable the entire time? Why are you now upset about it? Yeah, they've been they've been a miserable marriage for 54 years. They'll never admit to it because look at my dad. He's been all these amazing things. It seems harder for you now for some reason to watch them be miserable. Because <sighs> they're just old. Is it this thing that like, oh my God, you have maybe five years left. Let's do something about this. And it's also my mom. It's like she's a thousand years old, looks back on her life and knows that she's been controlled. She knows it. She knows it because she bitches at my dad all the time now. You never let me read the funny papers. You never let me make broccoli because you don't like it. You Like she's unleashing all this shit on him. She wants broccoli? Right? And the funny <laughs> papers suck. <laughs> Comics suck. So eat the damn broccoli. He doesn't have to eat it. No, that's not what the patriarch <laughs> wants to eat. The patriarch. It's so fucked up. And it's kind of funny side story. Because my dad never let her read the funnies, now she's put her foot down and she collects all of the newspapers, and there are newspapers everywhere in the their apartment. The comics are not funny. She's just fucking with them. <laughs> She's fucking with them. She's like, you're not going to make me throw this away again, Terry. You didn't let me read the papers. Yeah. How old is your mother? Uh, 78. How long has she been married? 56 years. After 56 years of marriage, she's finally doing a wonderful thing that we call differentiation. Mm. So let me pivot. Let me make a bit of a hard pivot, and then we'll loop this back to you and your parents. Let's do it. Here's the hard pivot. And I'm going to mention my favorite platform right now, TikTok. Mm. On TikTok right now, there are a lot of these fun little trends that go around. And one of the trends is a put a finger down challenge. The format of the challenge is you put a finger down and you hold up 10 fingers, put a finger down, and then the person rattles off a list of characteristics. And then at the end of that, the person will be like, if you put all your fingers down, you might be X. And so I have this idea. So I'm on psychology today. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at an article about codependent relationships. And there are 10 characteristics of codependent relationships. And I want to read them off. And I want to see if you can line up these points with either your father or your mother or you. Can I put my fingers up? If you'd like to, or you can keep you can keep tally on a notepad. Either way. Fingers. So here's the codependent relationship put a finger down challenge. TikToks are 60 seconds long. This one will be probably 10 minutes long. Put a finger down if you're overly concerned about what the other person is doing, thinking, and feeling, and you want to fix or rescue them from their problems. You worry that if you don't take care of them, something bad will happen. Do I have to tell you that I put a finger down? You don't. But keep a score. It's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, put a finger down if your relationship is consistently one-sided, one person is hardworking and responsible, and the other is allowed to be irresponsible or avoid the consequences of their actions. You may enable and make excuses for the other person's poor choices. Put a finger down if you sacrifice yourself to make the other person happy. This can include your health, time, energy, money, values, goals, or friendships. Your life revolves around the other person, making them happy, taking care of them, doing what they want to do. That one, by the way, rhymes with my mantra, don't set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. Yep. I put my finger down on that one, by the way. Number four, put a finger down if, quote, you walk on eggshells, around the other person, are afraid of doing or saying something that will displease or anger them. And as a result, you may not express your opinions, share your feelings, or ask for what you want. And to avoid conflict, you may say yes to things that you don't want to do or that don't align with your values or goals. Well, I feel like you have done that. Sure. Maybe you're not doing it as much anymore that last But my time. mom sure shit is. Yeah, but you yeah. have done that. Yes. In the yes, past. yes. By the way, I'm going to point out, these are not diagnostic criteria. But they're a fun TikTok It's activity. a fun TikTok challenge so far. <laughs> and TikTok friends, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Number five, put a finger down if you act like a martyr, taking care of everyone and everything, but resentful that no one helps or seems to care for you. Yes. That's your mom. Number six, put a finger down if you need to fix or rescue 
becomes controlling. You attempt to control the other person's behavior through criticism, ultimatums, nagging, or giving unsolicited advice. Mm -hmm. That's your dad. Well, it's been me too. I've threatened my dad that like, we're going to have to call adult protective services if he doesn't let my mom leave the apartment. That counts, right? Seems like it. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to judge that. I'm, that's you, baby. We're not going to call a spade a spade here. Well, I've said like I've, I've, I've gone to threatening to get him to change his behavior. Yeah. It hasn't worked. It, does, it doesn't do shit. Okay. It doesn't sound like it. All it does seems to make your blood pressure unstable. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Number seven, put a finger down if you continue the relationship even after the person has repeatedly hurt you physically, emotionally, financially, etc. Mm-hmm. Finger down. Yeah. Number eight, put a finger down if you spend more time taking care of others than taking care of yourself. And when you do something for yourself, like rest, enjoy a hobby, or practice self-care, you feel guilty or selfish. Mm-hmm. Is this for you? Um, it used to be me. I think I'm better at taking care of myself now. For sure, my mom. Example, she was afraid to go to, to Idaho to the wedding that she wanted to go to because my dad was like, no, I'm staying home. And then she told me, if something were to happen to your dad while we were gone, I could never, ever forgive myself. I should just stay. So yeah, even though they ended up going. Anyway, sidebar. Okay, go. Next. Yes, the answer is yes. Number nine. Number nine. Put a finger down. If you're afraid of being rejected, criticized, or abandoned. Yes. Wait a minute. Is this for you or your mom? Yes, to both. And number 10, put a finger down if you often feel resentful, frustrated, taken advantage of, or unfulfilled. That's my mom. 100% my mom. She expresses that to me. I'm better at that at this point. You know, ask me that eight years ago. What if I asked you that an hour ago? Yeah, no, you're right. (laughs) You're right. I don't recognize, I think, that I am being taken advantage of when I'm trying and trying and trying and getting nothing back and they're just still willing to, like, have me help and then not accept the help and then be rude about it. I don't know. It's just a big mangled mess. But yes, all my fingers went down. Your listeners can go to psychologytoday.com and do a little search for codependent relationships and this will come up. It's a lovely little article. Nice. It's kind of painful to read, but it's got some very helpful tips from a good source. I love it. Thank you. How'd you do on your test? How many fingers did you put down? All of them. For you or for your mother? It was a mixed bag. It was a mix. I felt it was a mix, yeah. Yeah, they were probably all for my mom, most for me as well, but probably all for me if I'd have done this five years ago. Right. Yeah. So certainly I would I would say that what you're sharing is that your mother has codependent tendencies for your that relationship with your father. That would stand to reason because of her Mormon upbringing. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. Codependency is codified in Mormon doctrine. Yeah, for sure. It literally is. Yeah, like you can't get to heaven without somebody else. The special sauce is the man to get into heaven. Heaven is sounding worse and worse the more we talk about it. <laughs> Let's qualify that by saying Mormon heaven. Mormon there heaven. You, go. I, you know, Mormon heaven, Mormon God, Mormon Jesus, they all suck. No, thank you. Yeah. Not a fan. No. Nope. <laughs> Not a fan. Kimberly throws out a, not a fan. (laughs) Not a fan. I concur. Uh uh Do you concur? Do you concur? I should have concurred. (laughs) What we're doing is we're identifying codependent tendencies in your mother and her relationship to your father. And I think if we're going to be honest, we're seeing some codependency in you towards either your mother or your father or both. Yeah, I completely see that. There's still something in me that wants my dad to approve of me. Mm. And I'm glad you said that because a lot of this codependency stuff goes back to attachment style. Yeah. Never feeling that he approved of me. Mm-hmm. I'm over the, that whole I need to be Mormon, you know, to get my dad to like me. I'm over it. Fuck Thank that God shit, for that. Know. Fuck right? that shit. But I want, well, he's not mean to me until we start to argue and then he tries to talk down to me. He has dismissed you your entire <laughs> life. You're right. I don't know I don't know why I um God, I just constantly have to defend these these why do you family have members. To, you put have a finger to? down if, <laughs> <laughs> if Are you reading your notes? God damn it, Kimberly. You have to defend him? Is there I a just, gun to your head? I just full on fucking busted myself. <laughs> 
Put a finger cut that down. down. <laughs> cut that, Dan. Cut it. No, no, cut, cut that it. finger off, Dan. <laughs> okay. I do want to say, though, uh, I'm looking at the clock. We're going to take one more commercial break. We're not going to get to patrons this week. Sorry, patrons. We're going to take one more commercial break and wrap this conversation up. As if this could ever wrap up completely. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> For more of this train wreck. Okay, continue. But seriously, you just stood up for your father. For him, <sighs> yes. Why? You know, I, don't, I do this shit all the time. Like, even talking to Mary, I'm telling her how rude my dad is being. And and then I'll say, but, you know, Mary, he's, it's just, just not like him. He's just, he's a really nice guy. Like, it's like I, I can't. Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm you, Syndrome. Yeah, really? Stockholm, Stockholm Syndrome. You can't see him for who he is and has always been. It's like I don't want to. It's because you see him as a victim of the Mormon church, and I don't disagree. Mm-hmm. But you want to see him as a victim versus a perpetrator. Yeah. And it doesn't—it really doesn't matter the cause as to why he is this way. Yeah. He just is this way. I think she wants to see him as a demigod. Oh, Maybe. I mean, that's how he was to me. Right. That's my point. That's how children view their parents. Yeah. Especially female child, patriarchal father mm-hmm. that is always right, is so close to God. And you never had approval. Never, ever. And so to take him off that pedestal or worse, even yet, to see him fall off that pedestal or knock himself off that pedestal puts him in the realm of the mere mortal. That's some painful shit. That really is. Like, it's hard for me to even think about how my dad is behaving right now. Mm-hmm. It hurts me to, to like, oh, my God, he's not this amazing, wonderful, godlike, spiritual, strong. Like, he's just none of that shit. He's and just a regular he's guy. He's regular he's old. kind of an ass. Yeah, he's a regular old <laughs> asshole in old folks' home. That's <laughs> a country song. That as a child, you're revered, idolized, deified, and sacrificed yourself for, for him to love you. Absolutely. And it never came. <sighs> what's in that sigh? What's contained in that sigh? I just let out some stress. <sighs> like, it's okay to let go of this. Mm. I felt like I opened up, like I let go a little bit. That was what it felt like, like releasing something. Good. Did you feel safer? Yeah, calmer, less mixed up on the inside. You have this felt not, responsible th- Yeah, this for is these not my people. battle. This is not my fucking battle. Not my circus. Not my my monkeys. monkeys. Not my parents. Well, kids that kind of are, but they're not my circus. Why have you felt so responsible for them? It's almost like this shit hits so fast, right? And then I'm instantly out there for three weeks getting shit done. And so you just become this, okay, I am, me and my two, my, my two brothers, my only other two that actually helped anything, we are the cleanup crew. We are going to fix this. We are going to take care of mom and dad. And we, we keep doing it. It's like, you know, because first it's like, well, let's let's get out there and get my dad to eat food. And then then it's going to be okay. Didn't work. Let's get him into trio. Then it'll be okay. Didn't work. Put a finger down if you're overly concerned about what the other person is doing, thinking, and feeling. And you want to fix or rescue them from their problems. You worry that if you don't take care of them, something bad will happen. Kimberly, I'm running out of fingers at this point. <laughs> That's the top of the list. Yeah, you're right. It was like this new crusade that I was going to succeed at and win, and everyone was going to be happy, healthy, and better. And what would that behavior serve? I guess me. Like, I'm the hero, I guess. You said it earlier, though. You would get your father's approval and his love. And I feel like I did, and I feel like there's nothing I can do anymore. And that's hard for me because I was going to win this, goddammit. Like, I was going to make this okay. I'm putting so much time in. You were going to fix this. Yeah. I'm putting so much heart, time, money, effort, pain, tears. Like, you give enough, you're going to fix it. Like, I've overgiven at this point, and it's not fixed the way that I feel it should look. And because of that, how do you feel? Fucking exhausted and and unappreciated. You know, when I'm trying to get my mom a new mattress and my dad's yelling at me that I'm breaking his heart if I bring a mattress in, or if I'm bringing in, you know, a couple six-packs of water and he's telling me not to bring anything into their apartment— I feel spit on. I feel slapped. I feel unappreciated. Put a finger down if you often feel resentful, frustrated, taken advantage of, or unfulfilled. We're on to toes now because I am Mm -hmm. totally out of fingers. Right. I am not trying to beat you up. I'm just merely trying to point out that this is not your fault. Honestly, Shelly. No, I know. You were bred. You were born. You were trained. You were indoctrinated to be codependent. Yeah. You literally were. And you know what? Kind of a side story, I guess. So Mary was not trained up this way. Mary's super independent, super, you know, take care of Mary. And so 
when I go through all this and she's kind of talking to me like, you're giving too much, you're burning out, you're blah, blah, blah. And then I'm thinking, well, why don't you care? Like, if it was your parents, if it was your parents— Do you judge me for not loving my mother more? It just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make Mm. sense that you wouldn't do it. But then again, you weren't brought up in Mormonism. You weren't raised by a patriarchal man. You weren't told from the time you were born that your job is to serve a man. So what I view in you as being maybe selfish— is actually healthy. Like, you're being healthy. And it sounds to me like you're giving Mary the opportunity to be her own person. Yeah. And she's certainly not asking it of you. She just is her own person. She just fucking is. And you're seeing it, and you're not expecting her not to be that way. Yeah. I don't know any other way to be. I think it's wonderful modeling, quite frankly, Mary. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I struggle with guilt about my mother, but I don't want to light myself on fire to keep her warm. I get that. She sees that. She watches me. My do mother it. will suck me in in two seconds if I let her. I have to have those boundaries rock solid and maintain them constantly. It is exhausting. Yeah. That's the hardest part about boundaries is maintaining them. Maintaining. Yeah. It's exhausting, but I have yeah. to do it for me. Yeah. Mary's a great example. Uh, Mary actually is a great example. Oh, thank you. Is this a good time to talk about underboob, or is that (laughs) inappropriate? Is that all I am to you? (laughs) Jesus. And a good example, baby. (laughs) Shouldn't that be enough? (laughs) God. There's never enough underboob, (laughs) goddammit. Yeah, no, I struggle with guilt over, you know, feeling like I should do more for my mother. I do check in with her. I'm like, do you need help? Do you need someone to come in and— and help you clean or help you with meals and that sort of thing. And I, I check in with her all the time, but I do not want to be in your position. Yeah. That's not for me. Yeah. Dear listener, please use Shelley's life as a cautionary tale and a giant red flag. <laughs> <laughs> in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Raw man. <laughs> but you know what? Okay. What? I went to therapy for at least two years over— fear of my mother and how to handle her. Like, it took a lot of work for me to get to the point where I wasn't intimidated by her. I wasn't afraid of her. Like, I could stand up for myself. I could set boundaries. It took a lot of work to get to that place because she is a master manipulator and a narcissist, and I was raised in it. I worked hard to be able to set those boundaries and maintain those boundaries. It takes work in a therapist's office. Yeah. And look what we're seeing in you as a result of that hard work. We're seeing that hard work in you today. Thank you. No, I will celebrate that. And we're some snarky and smartassery around here a lot, but I'm serious when I say I will celebrate and I will honor and I will validate that when I see that in you. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. And Mary, I want to say, I didn't mean to imply that it was simple for you to just— Or that I was selfish. Well, no, I don't think that you are. I really don't think that you are. But when I get in the depths of the shit with my family and I can't see straight and you're just so like even keeled, I'm kind of like, what? Don't you even care? But that's that's on me. That's me, you know, right. being in the shit. And I never, I don't think, and I wouldn't want our listeners to think that I feel that you being you was just, you came out of the womb that way and that's just it. I know you've done a lot of work with therapists and dealing with your mom. It's not like you just magically became this way. You've put in the work, for sure. Thank you. This might be a good chance for me to share my analogy about life. Let's do it. Everybody we know is carrying around a five-gallon bucket. And into that five-gallon bucket, they are trying to squeeze in six gallons of their own shit. Everybody we know has a gallon of their own shit that they can't take care of. It's on the ground around them. It's making a mess. It's stinking up the place. It's gross to look at. But the test of that person's character, who they truly are at their core, is indicated by how they're taking care of that little bit of shit. What they're doing with that extra gallon. Are they spreading it around? Are they pretending it's not there? Do they walk away from it? Do they give it to other people? Are they throwing it on other people the way monkeys do at the zoo? Or are they discreetly, uh, continually working with that mess so that it doesn't become other people's mess? Everybody has this five-gallon bucket, and everyone's trying to take care of their shit. Some people are trying to take care of it better than others, but no one's perfect. So that's my theory about life, and it's messy, and it's yucky, and it's ugly, 
But if you've ever literally taken care of your own shit, you know that this is a true metaphor. It's pretty damn accurate. Yes. And the thing I wanted to say, just as a wrap up to the stuff I have to deal with with my mother, is I have to manage my own guilt over not doing more, not doing what she wants when I think it's not good for me. I manage that guilt daily. And I have to wrestle with that. And I win every time. Every single time I choose me. It's not an easy choice. And that's, that's how you're taking care of that shit that's not in the bucket. Yeah. That's a good example of how you're doing that successfully. Choosing yourself is painful sometimes. Especially when the people around you who have you locked in these codependent relationships don't want you to choose yourself. Yeah, they don't feel they can, and so they don't feel you deserve to do that when they can't. Right. Yeah. They're envious. They are. And then, so if you do choose yourself, you feel a lot of guilt, right? Who am I to put myself first? It's hard. And you have a lifetime of these people continually wanting you to choose them. Continually. Every day, every conversation, they want you to choose them. And you have to make that conscious choice every conversation. No, I'm not going to be unkind. I'm not going to be unloving, but I choose me once again. And that is excruciating sometimes. Difficult at best. Yeah. When those people are trying to suck you in, what they're trying to get you to do is take care of their own shit for them. Mm. Yeah. And that's you holding a firm boundary. It is hard to do. It's really hard work. It's some of the hardest work, especially with narcissistic family. Mm. Yo, yeah. Mary's mom. Wowzers. We'll talk about narcissism next time. And we'll talk about individual narcissism, interpersonal narcissism. And we're going to talk about a thing that's kind of different called organizational or institutional narcissism. I like it. Yeah. This wow. has been great. I think, um, I don't know, this is probably me a little emotional. I think because Mary is so um, good at Mary at this point, like she's put in a lot of work and become very strong. Sometimes I feel like I do tend to take a lot of the the limelight, if you want to call it, about my issues and my problems. And because they're so big, I tend to feel like Mary's problems must not be as bad because she's not struggling. Mm. And that's not fair to her. Mm. Just because she's at a point now where she, on the outside and the inside too, deals with them better than I do, doesn't mean that she hasn't busted ass to get there. It doesn't mean that her problems are less than mine. She's just kicking ass right now. And it has been for a while, but it doesn't mean it's easy for her. And I want to make sure, Mary, that you know that, that I don't think my shit is worse. And I want the listeners to know that I don't think my shit is worse. My shit is just really big right now, but it's not harder than what Mary's been through and that what she goes through with her family too. Thank you. You're welcome, baby. That's nice and sweet for you to say. I want to thank you for letting me witness that exchange between you two. It's really beautiful to see that. Um, I want to point out, Shelly, that you're doing more than taking care of your shit. You're taking care of your father's shit, probably all six gallons of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're taking care of your mother's shit. Mm -hmm. And you've got some brothers, I think, that are leaving some of their shit spread around for you to take care of, too. Yeah, for sure. And I believe you have several children that are biologically yours as well. I do, and I have an ex-husband that's full of shit, so... It's a lot of shit. <laughs> it's a lot of shit. So you've got, you've got a lot of buckets. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You only have one bucket, and you've got a lot of mess to clean up. Right. Now, one thing that could be helpful would be setting some boundaries about taking care of other people's shit. Yes. This has been good. Thank you, um, Kimberly, for letting me just unload all this on you. You didn't unload it with me. You just shared it with me. Oh, that's true. It's brave of you to do that. Thank you. I hope that it helps the listeners. I know there's a lot of listeners out there who are dealing with shit with their family. I hope this is somewhat helpful. I'm sure it will be because Kimberly always has amazing things to share. And I think the more we can talk about what we're going through, the more we can help other people. So, Codependency, narcissism, and a lack of boundaries. They're the trifecta of trauma. Mm, Yeah. It really is messed up. And when we start talking about narcissistic behavior, specifically institutionalized narcissism, what we'll see with the Mormon church and many other churches is that it is indeed a narcissistic organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Kimberly, you're so, you're so fantastic. I can't wait for the next topic. 
Let's not let let it go so long next time. No. <laughs> How do you want to wrap this up? Do you want to wrap this up with a fart joke? <laughs> <laughs> Always. Always, for sure. <laughs> okay. How is a fart like sex? You know, you told me this one before, and I still can't remember the goddamn punchline. I don't know. Go. If you have to force it, it's probably shit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, with that, you've been a lovely audience. (laughs) Tip your server. I am here all weekend. Try the fish. (laughs) (laughs) Kimberly, love you. Yes, adore you, Kimberly. We will talk to you soon about the narcissistic episode. Mm We should thank Dan from Extension Audio. Thanks for leaving it in, Dan. <laughs> Dan's in Seattle and he's a former Mormon? Portland. And oh, yes. yes. Oh, he's in Portland. Portland. Yeah, okay. I know. I lived in Portland for eight years. Oh, cool. Portland's a great town. It's a great town. Keep Portland weird, Dan. Keep it fucking weird. <laughs> he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Keep Portland weird and steer clear of cults because they're no joke. No joke at all. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you later. Bye. 